Do you have your Bibles this morning? I hope you do. If you do, I invite you to turn with me to the 10th chapter of the book of Luke. Luke chapter 10. If you've not made it a good habit of bringing your Bible to church, I want to encourage you to do that. If I was going about somewhere where I didn't know where I was, I would pull out my phone and I would pull up the GPS to help me know how to get there. If I was lost in the woods somewhere, I would look to have a compass to tell me the direction that I should go. Well, it just so happens that the Bible is our map and our guide and it provides us the direction that we need in life or where we should go. And so it would be a good habit for us to carry it with us when we are in the world and when we're going through life. It's a good help for us. And so I hope you have your Bibles here today. For those who weren't here on Wednesday, uh, we began to spend some time sharing our burdens ahead of revival, those weights that we're carrying, those things that impede our spiritual walks, and those things that just in general weigh us down. And we were doing that in hopes that, that it will help us as we prepare for revival to share those burdens with one another, to confess our sins to one another, that as we pray and as we'd have prayer meetings in preparation for revival that we wouldn't just be going through a, a motion of prayer where we, you know we have kind of traditionally come together and listed out all these burdens that we have as a church but that we would spend time on our knees and on our faces before God bringing these burdens to him preparing not only those that we would desire to see here and then taking them to the Lord that God might work in their lives but preparing our hearts as well ahead of revival that we might be freed up from these burdens, from these cares, from these weights that beset us, that we might be useful in the hand of the Lord. And as we have talked about those things, I, I, I mentioned on Wednesday night that um, there's a couple of things that I need to preach here in the next two weeks that um, aren't exactly easy to preach. Um, the message that's on my heart today, it's not a message that a preacher preaches because he's wanting to be popular. It's a type of plumb line message. You guys remember the account in the Old Testament of, of Amos's plumb line? About how God showed him a plumb line? You know what a plumb line is, don't you? It's real simple. It's just a string with a weight on the end. When you hold it real still, it gives you a perfectly straight line down to the ground. And God had told Amos that he had in his hand a plumb line to demonstrate how far astray Israel was from that which was right in God's eyes. And the things upon my heart this morning are a plumb line to show us how far astray we are, how far astray you are, from the Lord's righteousness and purpose for your life. I want to read here in Luke chapter 10. We're going to be re begin reading at verse 57. And I ask for your prayers today. And I ask that you would be praying for yourself as well. That you would receive the word according to the Spirit of God. Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 57. We'll read down through the end of the chapter. It says, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow you wherever so you goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. 
And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And I would take my thought today from that last verse. Fitness for the kingdom of God. Are, is your life, are you living in a way that demonstrates that you are fit for the kingdom of God? If we desire a season of revival here at Faith Church, if we desire that our week of effort meeting that's going to be coming up, we desire that to be successful, it is necessary that we would take on both the burden of concern that we have for society as well as a burden of concern for our own righteousness before God. Now, I want to briefly touch on the first part, and we'll spend most of our time on that last part here today. When we think about what's going on in our society, me, like many of you, we have this tendency to kind of worry about it, and we wretch our hands about it, and we wonder about things that are going on politically or culturally, and we have just all this worry, and, and we say, why can't things just be like they used to be? We have this desire for a moral revival. The challenge that we have when we have that level of concern is that it's not actually getting to the root and the heart of the matter. The reason why there is immorality rampant in our society is because there are sinners. And sinners have a tendency towards immorality. Our desire should be that God might send a great revival of conversion. That those that are in sin, those that are sinners, by God's grace be converted to saints. That there be salvation that would come upon our country. That those that are lost and in sin and are doing such deeds that cause us to wring our hands and worry about the state of society, that God would bring them to repentance and that they'd be saved. Now, if we desire that, then it's a wonderful thing. I think all of us look upon the state of society and we have a, a shared desire concerning the state of immorality that we see. Then we should begin first by looking inwardly at our own righteousness. I ask you today, by the judgment of your life and your deeds and your actions, are you measuring up to the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ that was given you when God saved your soul? If you've been saved by God's grace, the righteousness of Jesus has been imputed to you. Inwardly, God has changed you. You are no longer a sinner having your righteousness as filthy rags, but instead God has imputed to you the righteousness of His own Son. And because of that, He treats you as righteous. You are treated as righteous in the sight of God. My question for you though, are you living according to that righteousness? Are you living according to that righteousness? That is our plumb line is the righteousness of God's own Son. Jesus here in this 10th chapter of the book of Luke, He is giving three tests of discipleship. They were going along their way and one person came up to Him and said, I will follow you whithersoever you go. 
Jesus looked at him and I suppose he was searching his heart or desiring that this man would search his heart to see whether or not that conviction that he had to say that to Jesus, that he would follow him wherever he would go, was real or not. And so Jesus looked at him and he said unto him, he said, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was saying, do you really believe what you're saying that you will follow me wherever you go because know that if you're going to follow me know that if you're going to follow christ that what is going to take place is that you're going to sacrifice comfort you're going to sacrifice those things that you enjoy sacrifice those things that you would desire after in your own flesh and follow after him Jesus said, I have no such thing as a worldly home. Meanwhile, foxes have dens and birds have nests. Do you really mean it when you say you will follow me wherever I go? That was his first test of discipleship. Do you mean it when you say you will follow the Lord wherever he leads you? Another came to him. I should say he went to another and he said, follow me. The person answered back and he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead. Now that seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? Jesus saying, let those that are dead worry about the dead. You follow me and go and preach the kingdom of God. Jesus was insinuating the urgency of the call to follow him. That it was not some passive thing, some inactive thing when it comes to our walking after the Lord. Too often we find ourselves as Christians that we just go through this manner of life just like the rest of society. The only thing that's different about us is that we gather ourselves in on a Sunday morning into a church house. My friend today, Jesus is decidedly showing to us the urgency when he says go that way let the dead bury the dead you go and you preach the kingdom of God how urgent do you take following after Christ is it just some manner of precept that you sometimes think about or sometimes do or instead is it something that you continuously in your life have said in your heart to follow after Christ first and foremost where is your heart is it to follow after Jesus no matter what it is that's going on in your life or is it only to follow after Jesus when the season is convenient for you. He came to the third test. And another said, I will follow you, but let me first go and tell those that are at my home goodbye. I think it's a little humorous here that this person came to Jesus and said, let me go tell those that are at home at my house goodbye when Jesus had just told the other that he had no place to even lay his head. And here he was wanting to return home to tell his family and friends Goodbye. Jesus said, No man who takes the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And that is so descriptive of common Christianity today. That is so descriptive. Let me bring this all the way here. That is so descriptive of Baptist people today. 
We want to take our hands to the plow. We want to go out and, and profess Christianity. We, we desire at least by our words to live a life that is godly, yet we spend all of our time looking back at the work. Having our hearts caught up and entangled in the affairs of that life that Jesus has called us to leave behind. Do you pass the tests of discipleship as Christ has laid out. Now, I want you to think for a moment about the most righteous and holy person you know. I don't know who it is for you. Just think about whoever it is. It might be Sister Diane for me. <laughs> I love you, Sister Diane. But whomever it is, you have that person that comes to your mind. And I want you to think about their lives and about the things that they do that, that leads to them to, to be how spiritual they are. I want you to think about the things that they do versus the things that you do and ask yourself, would that person that you look up to as the most holy and righteous person that, that you know, would they do the things you do? Unless the most holy and righteous person that you thought of was yourself, and which, if it is, we have a whole other sermon we need to preach. But unless that's the case, the answer is no. They wouldn't do those things. So why do we allow ourselves to get caught up and entangled in the affairs of life when we recognize by those own examples that we have before us that they are not good or expedient for us in our walk with Christ? Why do we find ourselves constantly to become more and more entangled with worldliness? I am convinced today that God's message for faith church And I'm not saying this just because it's some good idea I have. I'm having it because I've taken it to the Lord and I believe it's what He has for us. Is to call us out of worldliness. It is to call us from worldliness. Here's the thing about worldliness. Is that if you allow yourself to somehow just try to dabble in it or to tap your foot into it, it is like one of those finger traps that I used to play with as a kid. You ever had one of those finger traps? And the harder that you try to pull your fingers out of them, the tighter it would grab you. So is the worldliness that now it grabs a hold of Christians. The more that you want to try to play with it or mess with it, the tighter and tighter of a grip that it takes upon the child of God. I am calling us, God is calling us today out of that trap, out of that entanglement in worldliness. Some of you think that you can dabble in it. Let me tell you this. You are not capable. You are not strong enough. You are not good enough to take on worldliness and win. I'll say that again. You're not capable. You're not strong enough. And you're not good enough to take on worldliness and win. Neither am I, just to make sure I'm included here. When we think about how it is that the Lord has called us to live, it is to be separate. We studied that, or we haven't studied it yet, but we read that in the seventh chapter of the book of Hebrews this morning about how Jesus was separate from sinners. So he was altogether distinct and different by his nature and by his character and by his personality that everything about Christ was altogether good. And so if we desire that we would live after him, we are to take on this mind. 
that is in Christ Jesus. We are to take on His personality, His character, His attitude towards situations and not entangle ourselves with the world. Jesus went so far to say that the foxes have dens and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. He realized and recognized not just by singing a song or not just by what we think about it being a good thought that all Jesus was here was a pilgrim and a sojourner here to fulfill the law and the prophets and to fulfill the redemption that you and I now hold to. So what then? Let me tell you this, and I want to be real clear this morning. If you have been saved by God's grace, you have been called to holiness. If you have been saved by God's grace, you have been called to holiness. Now, some people get worried about that, and there's this whole idea in society where it's this attitude of judgment upon Christians that, that well, you're as holier than thou, or, or people will be called holy rollers and all these types of things. Listen, if you want to call me holy, that's the highest compliment somebody can pay me. But I would model myself after the holiness of my Lord. So somehow or another, it's been seen as this thing not to be, to be holy. But Scripture has told us plainly that we are to be holy because God is holy. And so if we think about this, we should desire to completely disentangle ourselves from the world. I woke up early Friday morning to make some barbecue for Ellie's birthday party yesterday. And I got that grill going and I was kind of beside it for just a little bit. I probably wasn't next to that grill for any longer than five or ten minutes total. I want you to know the rest of the day I smelled like smoke. Why? Because it didn't take too long being next to that smoke for me to leave smelling like it. It doesn't take long for you to be in the world for that stench to be on you. It doesn't take too long for you to deal and try to meddle in the world and worldliness to have its effect on you. You walk away smelling like the world when you spend time in it. It affects you. It affects all aspects of your life. My wife didn't care to give me a hug or give me a kiss. Why? She said, you smell like the grill. Get away from me. I personally find it to be a very fragrant odor. I enjoy it. (laughs) But you see, the point that I'm making is that if we involve ourselves in worldliness, that it will leave its mark on us. And so we're called away from it. We see this affirmed in different places of Scripture. Paul told the Romans this in Romans chapter 8. He said, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Now Paul's making a little play on words here. And he's making the point that we are no longer obligated to the flesh. We're not debtors to the flesh to live according to it. In fact, he says that if you live after the flesh, you will die. What is he meaning? There is a 100% chance that everyone in this room today is someday going to die. Every one of us will. It is the nature of the flesh to pass away. And if you live according to the flesh, all you will know in this life is death. Because the end of flesh is death. 
Yet here Paul says that if instead you through the Spirit do mortify, if you put to death the deeds, the activities of the flesh, you shall live. Why? Because you instead begin to take upon yourself and consider those things that are eternal, far above those things that are temporary. Listen to me today. Anything of the flesh, any sin of the flesh that you would enjoy, it is at its very best temporary. But the things of the Lord are eternal. And so they are far better. They are far better. So when we think about this, this idea, what, what Paul is saying, he tells us other places in the book of Colossians, he tells us to mortify, to put to death these different deeds, these sinful activities. I think I've preached on, on, on those here before. But the idea that comes with it is that we would not merely see these, this sinfulness as, as things that we somehow have to improve upon. But instead, he is telling us to completely do away with it, to put it to death. We haven't sung it in a long time. We used to sing this song about taking our burdens to the Lord and leaving them there. We have this tendency to try to go to the Lord in prayer concerning some issue of sinfulness or even concerning some burden that we're dealing with. And we go to the Lord in prayer and we take it to Him. But then when we get done with prayer, we're like, alright, Lord, thanks for listening to us. And we pick it up and we take it back with us. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> If the Lord has told us of a truth that His yoke is easy and His burden is light, then we should desire to go to Him with our arms full and our backs heavy from the weights that we carry around and to go to Him in prayer and to leave Him there and to take up His yoke upon us and to walk with Him as He helps us through this life. So many of you today, I know, are bogged down with worries and cares of this world. Take them to Jesus. And don't just take them there, but leave them at His feet. Let Him pick you up that you might be carried by our Lord. The message is that we wouldn't just somehow know that that prayer is a good thing for us to do, but that we would tarry with the Lord so long in prayer that we would reach the point where we know that He has heard us and that we get up knowing that He has helped us. I heard a man pray one time. He was praying before he was going to get up and preach. And he ended his prayer and he says, Lord, the only reason why I'm ending this prayer is because I know that I have been helped. That should be the degree of, of, of tearing in our prayers. The degree with which we would pray. The time that we would spend in prayer. I heard somebody say one time, we spend 20 minutes in prayer requests and 5 minutes praying. Something's wrong. As though prayer is somehow more burdensome than the burdens that we carry. Take your burdens to the Lord. Take your sins that you're struggling with and dealing with. Take the worldliness that you continue to dabble with. Take it to the Lord and leave it there. Listen to me. If you walk with the Lord, you cannot walk with God. If you walk with the world, you cannot walk with God. Jesus said that in His Sermon on the Mount. He said, you can't serve two masters. 
Because you'll either love the one and hate the other, or you'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. He said you can't serve God and things. You can't serve God and serve the world. I hope today is a bit of a Joshua moment for you. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. I'm just going to be honest with you. Some of you are tangled up with the world. You need to figure it out quick about how to get yourself untangled and come back to the Lord. What did John say about it? He said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Let me say this, and I want to talk about some of these things. There is this idea that has been carried about by Christians for a long time that we are supposed to be in the world but not of the world. Meaning that we dwell here in this society in the place where God has placed us and as a result of that we have to persevere through all of it. The issue is that some of us are not mature enough to even be in the world. Some of you have not risen up to a point of faithfulness in the Lord that you should even allow yourself to see these things that you don't know how to deal with. There are things that we do not let our children listen to or see. Why? Because they are not old enough to rationalize them or to deal with them. I protect my children from the news. I'm not talking about secular television shows. I protect my children from the news. Why? They're not old enough or able to be able to understand or rationalize or deal with situations that are involving violence or situations that are involving conflict and those types of things. They need to spend more time with me to learn how they rationalize those things before they can deal with them. Some of you need to spend more time with God before you try to deal with things that are in the world. If you're wondering, if you have to wonder who I'm talking about, I'm talking about you. If that offends you, listen, to quote my good friend, Brother John Thompson, I'm not trying to step on your toes. I'm aiming for your heart. I've spent some time with the Lord lately. And He has shown me the things that are besetting faith church. And I am preaching to you from a full heart with a full confidence of the Spirit of God as your pastor concerning your involvement in worldliness. And that you need to set your mind to untangling yourself from it. John said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. So if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He raised it up to a, not just a test of discipleship, but to a test of salvation. Listen, if you have a love affair with this world, what it tells you is you're not saved. The love of the Father is not in him. What did he say about it? He said, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. Listen to me, the pleasures of the flesh will always seem good for a season. 
But they are among the most sinful things that we involve ourselves in. Why? When you participate in the sins of the flesh, when you participate in sexual sins, not only are you sinning against God, but you are sinning against your own body. These sins, they they scar us. Sexual sins leave a mark in places you can't see. They affect every aspect of your life and can have an impact on your life for the rest of your life. Emotionally and, and in relationships and mentally, spiritually. Sexual sins, lust of the flesh, sins of the flesh, they have a tendency to keep us messed up. To keep us pulled back from the Lord. Parents, listen to me. If you're not sitting down with your children at an appropriate age and teaching them about what the Scriptures say concerning sexual sin, you are falling short of the mark of biblical parenthood. And if you say, Derek, I'm just not able to do that. I'm not qualified then you first spend some time on your own. You come to me. You come to some other good brother or sister in the church that can help you to search the Scriptures that you know how to deal with those things from the biblical point of view. Our children, listen to me, faith church, our children are being destroyed by sexual sins. Faithfulness of God is intended to be generational. It's been that way since the beginning. Where we've seen generation upon generation follow after those before them in faithfulness. If that will continue, it will be that we teach our children according to the doctrines and precepts of Scripture concerning those things that destroy them. Listen to me, my friends. Make no doubt about it. Have have no qualms about it. Satan desires to wreck your children's lives. And if you give him the opportunity, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. We can sit idly by and say, well, it's just too hard to deal with or it's too awkward to deal with. My children aren't of that age yet where I have to be worried about that, but I think back to being a child and thinking about my parents having a conversation with me, and it's awkward for me to think about looking back on it. So we can say it's too hard, or it's too awkward, or we can say to the wind with how awkward it is, and to the wind with how much our kids don't want to hear it. We can instead reach out in love and save our children. Let me tell you a quick story. Somebody that I look up to a lot in the faith, he, he told this story to me about his own son. His son was, was in high school, I guess, maybe a little older than high school, and was dating this girl. And He was getting ready to go over to her house and to, to spend some time with her. And he came out of his bedroom and he's wearing pajama pants. And his dad looked him square in the eye and said, you get back in there, you're not going over to your girlfriend's house dressed like that. You get back in there and you change. And his son as you would expect to do, had some words for him. They they exchanged some unpleasantries, I suppose. But his son relented and he went back in and he came out wearing jeans. And what he found was his dad waiting to embrace him. And he said they met there in his living room and they gave each other a great big hug with tears in their eyes because they both knew the lesson that his dad had taught him there in that very moment. 
How many of us are willing to take on our children concerning their holiness before the Lord? I'm just going to be honest. Some of you as parents, you're more scared of your children than they are of you, and that's wrong. I hear a lot of times, well, I'm going to push them away. Listen, I guess maybe that could could be true. Maybe you'll push them away. But I'll tell you this, you're certainly not pulling them in when you let them go run around in sensual clothing and give them occasion to engage and involve themselves in sexual sin. You say, I'm not wanting to push them away. Well, by what you're doing, you're not pulling them in either. So I challenge you today as parents. Because listen, here's the thing. Listen to me. The children, teenagers, young adults, they're not at the age to to ably understand the, the emotions, the hormones that go on in their body. They're just going to be pulled every direction by their flesh on its own. And then you add society and media that pulls them in those directions too. I'm just going to tell you, I am never surprised when a young person finds himself frustrated and, and, and involved in sexual sins. That's the tendency of their hearts and their emotions and their physical body and all those things that are going on. Parents, it's on you to help your children through those things. Say, Derek, that's just more weight than I can handle. You need to go work out a little bit until you're strong enough to handle it. How do you work that out? You work that out on your knees in prayer and you work that out by searching the Scriptures. I've gone through a study before. I went through and I found every single scripture I could about sexual sins. And man, did I have a list. I need to dig that up sometime. But you'll find that scripture does not leave the subject uncovered. Let me say this. Y'all ain't going to like this, but I'm just going to say it. I think part of the reason why as parents you can't do a good job of that is because you yourself are caught up in sexual sin yourself. Now, I don't mean that you're caught up in some <clears throat> some affair or some sexual activity of a physical nature, but you allow yourself to be consumed by you watching so much sexual immorality that you yourself are engaged with it so often that it becomes to, to just be second nature to you that you can't ably speak to your children about it. Gone are the days of... Listen to me. What many of you watch on TV is closer to pornography than it is the full house. I was going to say leave it to Beaver, but I think full house is probably the leave it to Beaver of my generation. That's the reality. I'm saying of a truth when I say that. A lot of what you all watch is closer to pornography than it is to full house or leave it to Beaver. I watch Frontline. <laughs> Documentary show on PBS. <laughs> That's my go-to. I recommend it to you. Seems pretty safe from those types of things. I just want to tell you this. and I'll, I'll get off this. I don't see how you can desire power with God and then consume your mind with worldly things. I just don't see it. I don't find it to align with Scripture. Here's the problem. Some of you today are going to have your hearts pricked and be troubled 
And you're going to leave here and you're going to say, I'm going to, to make it a point in my life to try to get rid of these things. And round about 9 or 10 o'clock tonight, you're going to fall back in your easy chair, fall back in your bed, and you're going to do what you have always done when you pick up the remote control and you turn on the TV and those things are going to begin entering into your mind and they're going to pull you further and further away from where you are at right now. That is why Paul said to mortify, to put to death, to kill the deeds of the flesh. There's a reason why such strong language is used in the Scriptures concerning these things. You are not strong enough to deal with them on your own. The lust of the eyes. Listen to me. The Tenth Commandment. It still holds water all these years later. Thou shall not covet. We still have this tendency by the lust of our eyes to be envious and to lust after treasures and, and just more stuff. I think this impacts us. I'm certain it impacts all of us. But I think this is really particularly impacting my generation right now. This, this idea of the, the lust of the eyes. People are interested in making the, the, that purchase or, or buying that thing or, or, or trying to find out how they can get a good deal on that stuff. Listen to me, it's okay to have stuff. But when that stuff becomes a hard issue, that's when you've got a problem. And I think as I've listened to conversations with people, I see how they're consumed with, with ideas of stuff or things that they can buy or purchase or somehow to add on to their life when it's filling our conversations and consuming our hearts and our thoughts and our ideas. It is missing the mark. The lust of our eyes is that grabbed a hold of us. Didn't you hear what that first person was told by Jesus? He said, birds have nests and foxes have dens, yet I don't have anywhere to even lay my head. And we concern ourselves with worldly possessions. Now many of you are probably refuting me in your mind right now. You're saying, Derek, listen, I don't have a problem with this. I, I could lose everything I have and I would be just fine. And you're probably right and you don't need a lot of stuff, but you want a lot of stuff. We all do. I heard a stat this week that, that blew my mind until I stopped and thought about it for a while, that the average American household has more than 300,000 items in their house. 300,000 items. Now, that's an average. You might be less, you might be more, but that's a whole lot of stuff. And at first I thought, there's no way. And then I just started thinking about what's in our cabinets in the kitchen, and I thought, well, that's probably a thousand right there. Might be more. We've got more plastic cups from ball games than we know what to do with. The reality is, is that we all have a bunch of stuff. And it's okay to have stuff. But when that stuff grabs a hold of our hearts so that we lust and we envy and we make it a consumption of our lives about how we can possess and have greater and have more, we're missing the mark. May God cleanse our hearts of the lust of the eyes of envy. May God help us to know that contentment, that true contentment, comes by godliness. That it comes by godliness. Finally, it's the pride of life. If there is anything in the Scriptures that God makes clear that He hates, it is pride. God has said with certainty that He hates pride. He can't stand when we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, He can't do much 
with a person that thinks of himself as greater than he actually is. Why? Because when you have a sense that you are better than you are or greater than you are, when you are built up in pride with a haughty spirit or with a, a higher attitude than you ought to have, you begin to think of yourself as a type of your own God. God hates the man that is lifted up in pride. Can't stand it. I might be using stronger language there than I ought. But I don't think I'm far off. There are those that find ourselves to grapple with these things. To be flattered and to desire honor and, and applause and admiration and praise. I've told you before, one of the, the greatest examples that I've seen in prayers by my wife's grandfather Every time I've ever heard that man pray, he ends it the same way. And when she said, Lord, keep us humble. I think God's heard his prayer and has helped him with that. And we would do well to continue in that prayer that God would keep us humble. Listen to me, whenever you think more highly in yourself than you ought, I hope that you would be reminded that you have so much more than you have ever deserved. Listen to me. Every once in a while when I start to think of myself as though I've done anything, as though somehow I am, I've done something good or, or, or that I, I'm, I'm important in some way, I'm reminded that at my very best, on my best day, all that I have ever deserved is hell. That's all any of us have ever deserved. Listen, I'd be willing to say that each of us in our own thoughts, our own imaginations and ideas this morning, we have committed more sins in our thought lives just here in the last three hours that are sufficient to send us to a devil's hell for all eternity if not for the redemptive work of Christ Jesus on the cross at Calvary. We have received the unmerited favor of God and salvation. He has given us more than we ever deserve. So how could any of us ever think that we are greater or more important or have done something that it should be looked at or, or applauded at of anything of our own except that the Lord has strengthened us to do it? Any good thing that I have ever done God deserves all praise and honor and glory for. Whether that's in a spiritual sense, whether that's in a worldly sense, any good grade I've ever got, anything I've ever received good marks for or, or, or remarks about at work, anything that I have to, to somehow point to, it only points to the Lord. And listen to me, if you have got that pointing off track and you have pointed upon yourself, you need to repent. You need to repent. May God humble us by reminding us what we've been saved from. I need to wrap up. There needs to be an urgency about us with these things, Faith Church. I think that urgency is what underscores these three tests of discipleship that we read here in the 10th chapter of the book of Luke. Listen to me, the hour is just too urgent to get caught up in worldliness. There's too much that hangs in the balance. There is too much at stake for us to be bothered dealing with or, or somehow trying to dabble with the affairs of worldliness. I am concerned, Faith Church, about where we're at as it relates 
to our level of worldliness. I hope if anything has been accomplished today that God has troubled you about it on a personal level. I know that there are some of you right now are saying, Derek, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm all together okay. I'm, I'm not too bad. Listen to me. If I had a bottle of water and I set it right here in front of you, I have a bottle of water, I'll set it right here in front of you. And I invited you to come up and take a drink of it. You'd look at that and you'd say, well, that looks alright, I'll take a drink of it. But if I opened this bottle up and you saw me take a little dipper or a little squeezer and I put just one drop of sewage water in it, I blended it up and you probably couldn't even tell the difference in the bottle but you saw me just put one drop of sewage in it, would you come and drink this bottle of water? No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Why? Because 99.9% pure isn't good enough for us when we drink a bottle of water, is it? Yet somehow we think that if we're 98%, 97%, 90% good enough in life, that somehow because we're doing better than others, that it makes us at the front end of godliness. Listen to me. If you have found yourself caught up in worldliness, the Lord has called upon us today to repent. Brother Brett, let's sing What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I want to make known to you today, my brother and my sister, this altar it is open to you to repent. Whatever you've dabbled in in worldliness, whatever you've carried around, whatever sin you've found yourself dealing with that you just can't put down, come and put it down at the feet of Jesus. Cast your burdens upon Him. Cast your cares upon Him because He loves you. He has demonstrated, listen to what Jesus did. He has demonstrated His love towards us that even while we were still sinners, He died for us. Oh, what love God has for His children. That we are called His children. And if children, then we're heirs. Join heirs with Jesus. We have intimacy with God today because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. We have no interest in the affairs of the world. God has called us today out of the world that we might be seen as holy and separate, altogether righteous by the righteousness of the Lamb of God. Today I call upon you, if you are meddling, if you are caught up in worldliness, so much so today that you're even ignoring the call of God upon your heart. Repent. Repent. Make your way to the cross. Brother Brett, let's sing. Listen to me. We have revival coming up and I want Faith Church to be found usable to the Lord. That we be usable, profitable to His service. The reality is, is that when we entangle ourselves with sin, when we get caught up in the affairs of the world, we are found to be unusable by God. He can't use us. I don't know about you, but I desire to be used of God. I ask you, as you examine your life right now, ask yourself the question, how can God use you? Seeing your state of worldliness and sin. Brother Brett, let's sing. If God's dealing with you in some way, if He's pricked you at heart by His Spirit, come and seek after Him. Come and repent and be right of the Lord.